Super Talk Mississippi media production. Taylor Swift is coming to New Orleans, and Margaritaville Resort Biloxi and Super Talk are giving away a free pair of tickets. For your chance to win, go register now at Margaritaville Resort Biloxi and get your name in for the final drawing from Margaritaville and Super Talk 103.1. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert along with Rhino in the Element Well Studio guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder and fine music as we kick off a brand new week here Rhino. Howdy howdy. What about your weekend? Wasn't long enough. (laughs) Well uh, indeed it was uh, a good weekend for the Bulldogs and the Rebels on the gridiron, both traveling to... A win is a win. Yeah, well, but when you go on the road and dispatch a an SEC opponent, yeah, it's a pretty good deal. It was fun. I thought, um, of course, Mississippi State, without the services of quarterback Will Rogers. But I thought they played pretty well. And, of course, Ole Miss traveled over to Arkansas and uh, took care of business over there against uh, the Auburn uh, Tigers. It's always fun, is it not, when you watch the home team heading for the exits before the game is over and you're in their stadium playing. That's always uh, a bit gratifying, I'll have to say. Unfortunately, I've seen that happen (laughs) at home as well. But uh, overall... It was uh, a good weekend in that respect. The weather was nice. Got a little warm. It like it got like summertime sort of temperatures yesterday. I don't know if I'd call them summertime temperatures, but yeah, it's definitely warmer than you want in late October. Well, eighty-eight. I guess that's not summertime relative to ninety. A hundred here. Ninety and up. That's summertime temperature, man. <laughs> up there at Michigan State, they had a football game. Those guys. Yeah, Spartan Stadium. How do you do that? <laughs> Who thought that was a good idea? I don't know. But they uh, they have this little play-along trivia quiz game. They do. Uh, during the breaks of the game. And they presented a trivia question about Adolf Hitler. <laughs> This was uh, up in East Lansing where they play. It was taking, taken from the YouTube page, The Quiz Channel. That, according to the Associated Press, channel creator Floris Van Palland later wrote on the page that he had no idea MSU uses his quizzes. 
And I'm looking at this. This is crazy. There, the big old jumbotron has got a photo of Hitler in his Nazi uniform, kind of sideways pose, you know, that he's known for. And there was some sort of trivia question. Associated. I think it was what country he was born in. Yeah, that's right. Was it was the was the trivia question specifically what country? But it's just out of all the people in history <laughs> and all the countries in the world, you're going to ask a trivia question about. You pick Hitler. Unbelievable. The university says that actually this statement from the vice president and director of athletics. Alan Haller said the video was not viewed in its entirety by anyone in the athletics department before it was played, exposing a failure in our process. Quote, the video was not part of a sponsorship and had no affiliation with any of our corporate partners or our community. An initial assessment was conducted and an involved employee has been identified and suspended with pay pending the results of an investigation. The investigation will determine any future appropriate actions, says the vice president and director of athletics. Sounds like they may be getting sued for copyright infringement. Well, especially since the person who creates this little quiz on YouTube had no idea that his quiz was being projected on the Jumbotron. If, if you can't take somebody's YouTube video whole cloth and re-upload it to YouTube, how do you think you're going to get away with just taking it and putting it up on a big screen for a stadium full of people? Why, like you said, why Hitler, though? First, at any time, why Hitler? Second, especially given what's happening right now in Israel, Gaza, in the Middle East. That's insane. And to the people asking on the ceasefire text line, yes, the answer was Austria. Yes, that's right. Thank you. But that was the question, the trivia question. That's not even interesting trivia, is it? Like, who cares? Seriously. I mean, I could see it being a whoopsie if you have, say, a soccer-style kicker that just happened to be born in Austria, and you got a doofus running the scoreboard (laughs) that thinks, oh, who's somebody famous from Austria? Let me Google it real quick. Like, I could see a series of events where it happened. But just out of nowhere, with no connection whatsoever, yeah, somebody (laughs) screwed up. Uh, Well, you know, I shared last week that the hashtag Hitler was right occurred on social media 70,000 times last year. 70,000. Now, you can't assume that's 70,000 distinct individuals that posted that, but that's still rather disturbing. What the heck's going on? Uh, and I, I can't help but think about the feigned tears, the crocodile tears flowing from Representative Pramilia Jayapal's eyes last week during a uh, a protest. And of during course, her call to insurrection. Pretty much, it's what she was was saying. We're not going to forget this, President Biden. 
The American people aren't with you on this one, huh? They're not? Now, I'm also somewhat aghast that polls show 70-plus percent of Americans are in Israel's court here. Only 70 percent? That means a third of the country are sympathetic to murderous barbarism being committed by Hamas? Is that what that means? We're certainly seeing a whole lot more pro-Palestinian-slash-Hamas terrorists. And let's be honest, they're embedded in the Palestinian culture, in their government— they are, and they, and even though the Palestinians voted for them, right? And even though you've seen people defend the Palestinians are peace-loving people, yeah, but they teach their kids to hate Israelis and Americans, for that matter. Hate, like at a very young age, they get them all riled up with all these goofy chants and stuff. You've seen videos of it in elementary school. Death to Israel. I mean, that kind of crap. Unbelievable. Truly is. Here at home, a a story you can catch on our website, Supertalk Mississippi News, shots fired outside the home of Mississippi Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith. No one injured. This occurred, I believe, late yesterday. Uh, oh, let's see, what do we have on our website? Near the Republican senator's home in Lincoln County around 12.45 in the afternoon. I, I got notified of it about 3 o'clock. A friend that is uh, close to some staffers for the senator. It's not known at this time if the senator was at home of the shooting. No statement has yet been released that, that we're aware of from her office. And keep checking our website, and of course here we'll pass those details on as well as we learn more about it. And it's it's impossible, and it would be imprudent to speculate anything at this point. We just simply don't know. I did see last week where a staffer that works for Alabama U.S. Senator Katie Britt, you saw that, was I think robbed, if I'm not mistaken, on the streets of D.C. This is almost a common occurrence with members who work, or folks who work in the U.S. government in the D.C. area, because crime is out of control, and they don't care. Of course, they were one of the first to embrace the defund the police movement. Remember the mayor, Rhino, of Washington, D.C., went to one of the prominent avenues and in gigantic letters painted the BLM stuff, Black Lives Matter slogan. Remember that? Uh, just in giant letters right there on the boulevard at a big old celebration. Yeah, defund the police and in the carceral state. And just let everybody do whatever the heck they want. Don't punish them. Well, now the crime is out of control. So now staffers of members of the U.S. Senate are being assailed on the streets of Washington, D.C., the nation's capital. That's disgusting. We're stepping aside for a break. Coming back with more in the Element Well Studios, Josh Hendrickson from Mississippi, pardon me, from Ole Miss is coming on. Now back to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi.
Welcome back, everyone. It's middays. We're in the Element Well studio today. The ceasefire text line 601-879-4395 at 11.05. It's Josh Henriksen, chair of the Department of Economics and associate professor of economics at the University of Mississippi. Of course, it's Monday. That means it's a two-hour show. And at 12.05, it's Ricky Matthews with Super Talk Outdoors. So, you know, anytime war is waged anywhere in the world, of course, there are countless examples of human tragedy and just horror. But it seems like we also often see acts of heroism bring out the best of people. Now, I wish... That weren't necessary. I hate war. War is accomplishes nothing. It's other than in the case that like we have now, where you gotta put down bad people that are a menace to global society. And historically that's been the case with this country's involvement in war. I think the exception many people would point to would be Vietnam, where we never really understood clearly what's the objective here, what's in it for Americans. There's other cases as well. But if you look at the big world wars, I mean, that was necessary really to keep the planet from being overrun by bad guys. But here's where I'm going. You've no doubt seen some of the reports, even this weekend, Rhino, I know more information that our intelligence, our government has about the atrocities committed by Hamas terrorists in Gaza, they're deeply disturbing, no doubt. But now a story about a hero, Shlomo Ron, a Jewish citizen in the kibbutz of Nile Oz, 85 years old, somewhat frail, as most 85-year-olds are. Well, he was in a shelter, but he decided to leave his wife, his daughters, and his grandson in the shelter. And he went and sat in the living room of his residence. He figured that when the terrorists broke in, they would see him, execute him, and just move on. He was right. He literally sacrificed his own life at the age of 85 to spare the lives of his wife, his daughters, and his grandson. May he rest in peace. It's sad that we even have to discuss these sorts of acts of heroism because without terrorism, this would not be a story wouldn't happen. It's hard to comprehend, honestly. But this is a sample of the best, an example of the best in people and of humanity. Shlomo Ron. I'm looking at a photo of him. 85. In this photo, smiling. Incredible. That's true heroism. No greater love than to lay down one's life for others. 
No doubt about that. Just want to pass that on and share. It's not something you'll see on the mainstream news for sure. Meanwhile, Mike Pence, you know who he is, candidate for president of these United States, former vice president. He was on NBC's Meet the Press, what Rush used to call it, Meet the Depressed. (laughs) He told the moderator, Kristen Welker, that bipartisan support for Israel is uh, critical during this time. And he said that America needs to stand with its ally, Israel, as they're, looks like they're mobilizing and staging for a ground assault. Most people, I think, including me, felt like that would have already commenced, but it hasn't yet. And again, we'd only be speculating as to, as to why. I'm sure it's based on some information and intelligence they have, and I do believe that Israel will absolutely go out of its way and take all measures that are practicable to avoid civilian casualties. He said that, this is Mike Pence yesterday, said he would have sent American troops on the ground to Gaza to assist their Israeli allies. He basically laid out some details of how he would direct them to uh, help the IDF, the Israel Defense Forces, with the ongoing situation. wonder how folks think about that, sending in ground troops. I don't think that's popular with the American people. Um, but I will say that they're Americans held hostage. We've got to have some sort of response other than we're just going to sit back and watch. I don't know what the correct response is. But at a minimum, shouldn't our president, rather than going on a little vacation for the weekend, as he did, because there's nothing going on, of course, shouldn't he stand before the world and say, you touch one American and you're done? Is that a little too radical? But rather, we have not seen much out of this president. He has, of course, been fairly firm in his support for Israel. But what he hasn't done, I don't feel like, is warned Iran, who I believe is behind this deal. Hamas is a proxy, essentially, for Iran. He hasn't done that. He hasn't threatened them. He needs to threaten them, in my view. Because they're threatening Americans. They're holding them hostage. I don't know what the latest count is, 29, 30, something like that. One is too many, obviously. So there needs to be something a little more substantive coming out of the White House. But I guess I shouldn't hold my breath on that. But it's disturbing that he's not. Meanwhile, up in Washington, we got chaos. With the Speaker of the House situation, now it looks like we've got a handful of Republicans who have announced that they're going to run for Speaker. Jim Jordan not able to achieve the necessary votes. He's the the latest candidate going down after Steve Scalise did prior. That, of course, in the wake of the removal of Kevin McCarthy. So we got a veritable flood of Republican 
lawmakers who have raised their hand and say, I'm in. So I think it's nine now. Representative Tom Emmer of Minnesota, Austin Scott of Georgia, Kevin Hearn of Oklahoma, Mike Johnson of Louisiana, Gary Palmer of Alabama. I think they're all in. Let's see, there's um, Byron Donalds. He's in as well. He, the representative from the great state of Florida, Byron Donalds. Who did I miss? Uh, Gary Palmer of Alabama, I think I got him in there. Jack Bergman of Michigan is another. I'm not familiar with him. Mike Johnson of Louisiana, I've seen him, the bespectacled Mr. Johnson. Pete Sessions of Texas. Not impressed with him. Dan Muser of Pennsylvania. That's it. So, and also, can you tell the folks about the Unity Pledge, uh, Rhino? Uh, Yeah, there's been some reporting on the fact that the Republican conference has signed a unity pledge. I think it's all but three have signed it, saying that they will not take a vote to the House floor unless they know for certain that they have the required votes to get the Speaker of the House position filled. Essentially don't want to go through this going down in flames process again, where you get a nominee, you get to the floor, and they go down in flames. And here we go again. I think there's uh, lots of frustration by the American people. There's certainly frustration within the conference. I'm seeing a news report right now that says uh, candidate for president Vivek Ramaswamy opposes the blacklisting of Harvard students. And, of course, that's in response to Bill Ackerman, one of the big hedge fund managers who was disgusted at the pro-Hamas protest by many Harvard students. In fact, 31 organizations drafted a letter. Many Harvard students who were members of those organizations signed on to this letter denouncing Israel and showing their support for Hamas. Ackerman says, I want to know the names of those people. We're not hiring them, and I'm encouraging my peers on Wall Street to do the same. Coming right back in the Element Well studio. You're listening to Middays with Gerard. Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. the movie Back to the Future. Which we missed it because on Saturday it was Back to the Future Day. Did not know that. Yeah, the date October 21st of 2015 is the date they travel to the future. That's right. Yeah, that was a good movie. Back when movies were fun, I reckon. We're back in the Element Well studio. 601-879-4395. We're just talking about 
the possible Speaker of the House uh, contenders, I guess there are nine of them. Byron Donalds is one that I mentioned earlier. Paul Meridian said he's the only one of those I've heard of. I respect what he's done so far. He is a sophomore. He's in his second term, originally from New York, lives uh, relocated to Florida where he lives. In the wealth management business, as I recall, I've I've seen him talk quite a bit on economic matters and issues. He's uh, pretty much on the right side of those, as far as I'm concerned. I don't know what kind of chance he has of being elected speaker. Another question, Aaron in Meridian: What do you think of Crenshaw from Texas if he runs for it? We had him on the show. Remember that, Rhino. I think he's even appears in our in our promo featuring the show. Um, I'm okay with him. Here's what I'd say though. There is um, there's a need, I believe, to serve in this role, to have the skills of relationship building. I don't feel like he possesses those skills. I'll just be honest. He doesn't He doesn't seem like a person in my view. Now, I've never sat down and talked to him one-on-one. I've never seen him interact in a social setting or a, or a group setting. I can only speak from our interview. Not that, that I got that observation from that, from that interview, because I thought the interview was good, and I appreciated what he said and agreed with, I think, virtually everything that – he discussed on the interview. I, he just doesn't. Just watching him do interviews on uh, national media, I don't get the feeling he'd be good at that. That's just that's just an opinion, and I'm not so sure Byron Donalds would be. Honestly, I did feel like that Scalise seems like he's got the best ability in that department. The others, I can't tell you. I don't see a lot of them. Uh, Emmer got votes, I believe, in the past. He's, the, if I'm not mistaken, the third-ranking member of the conference is Tom Emmer from uh, Minnesota. I think he's the third-ranking guy. So uh, whether or not he can pull it out, I don't know. Now, Donalds is a member of the House Freedom Caucus. He did receive 20 votes for Speaker in January. Remember that? Kevin Hearn of Oklahoma, don't really know him. Gary Palmer of Alabama, close to home, don't know him. He's longtime chairman of the, the Republican Policy Committee. That makes him the fifth-ranked member of the conference in the House. He's also a member of the Freedom Caucus. Jack Bergman of Michigan. Don't know much about him. Retired Marine Corps Lieutenant General. He's 76, represents Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Mike Johnson of Louisiana. I have him. I have seen him interact quite a bit on national media platforms in interviews. I like him. I think he's pretty good. He's an evangelical Christian. He's a member of the Judiciary Committee. He was also a key architect of the Republicans' objections to certifying the victory of Biden. 
a lot of members of Congress, it is reported, relied on his arguments. He seems to be a pretty bright guy. Pete Sessions of Texas, hmm. longest-serving member of Congress so far. Who is among the nine considering a run? First serving in 1997. Uh, Dan Muser of Pennsylvania. Elected to Congress in 2018, he's told some news sources he's considering running for speaker because, quote, I'm not going to let this kindergarten continue. So it's um, I say again, I think we're too focused on personalities and not enough on effective policy. That does bug me more than anything. We just don't seem to be on board with that, and again, more obsessed with personalities and people. I'd like to see us get more focused on getting the job done and getting to work and really addressing the the key issues. One of the things that Republicans are worried about was a McCarthy spending promise that looks like it's unraveling just with this speaker's fight and that really had to do with McCarthy's pledge not to pass an omnibus bill and to fund the discretionary aspect of spending. This is something we talked quite a bit about on the program in, in December of 2022 when the government was facing the need for funding just to stay open, to continue, because discretionary spending does have to be appropriated by Congress, unlike mandatory spending, which is funded by statute. It's on autopilot. It doesn't get appropriated. It's really crazy, folks, if you think about the fact that 70% of what the federal government spends is not appropriated. It's not, it's not discussed, not deliberated, doesn't have to be passed into law. And when Senator Rick Scott of Florida made the proposal Hey, maybe we just ought to let the sun set every five years on those programs. Discuss them. Appropriate. Make adjustments. Deliberate. He got his head cut off, man. Because what is, what is it? Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. All he said was, hey, if these programs are this great, well, then it should be no problem. Every five years, we'll just... We'll gather up under the dome there, and we'll hash it out and appropriate for another five years through statute. And Joe Biden immediately responded by going to the American people. Republicans want to end your Social Security and Medicare. It's just a lie. Totally. Just because he even brought it up. Just brought it up. The noose has come out. It's incredible. So this this pledge by McCarthy not to fund the discretionary portion of government through an omnibus spending bill, which is what happened last December, the Senate proceeded with passing an omnibus spending bill, $1.7 trillion, largest in the nation's history, only passed because 17 Republicans also supported it, voted for it. Unfortunately, one of those was our own Senator Roger Wicker, 
And and it's the usual suspects. It's the same folks that supported, the, for the most part, the Infrastructure Bill, the CHIPS Act, all of which were just gigantic spending measures. But the Omnibus Bill went into effect, and Republicans in the House, once they took their, uh, their seat, whole new class, Republican control, you remember, because they won in the midterms, took their seat in January, said, no more omnibus bills, Kevin McCarthy. And he agreed to that. But now they're concerned that because we're once again running out of time, we're not going to be able to deliberate under regular order the 12 bills that, as defined in regular order, as specified, would be used to fund the discretionary aspect of government. I I say again to those who essentially blew this process up, I, I get your grievance that you're not happy about the fact that Kevin McCarthy was supporting a continuing resolution for spending and not regular order. I, too, support regular order, but the fact is you don't have a plan. I want to see a dang plan, and you don't have one. And you're not really serious about spending, curtailing spending, and ultimately getting to a balanced budget so that we can start chipping away at the debt. You're not serious about it until you put mandatory spending on the table. You're not serious about it because it's not possible. The math doesn't work. Not a single one of those people that I'm aware of have ever uttered a word about addressing where all the deficits are being driven, and that's in mandatory spending. They know, however, unfortunately, that most Americans don't understand this nuance, and that's why we talk about it on this program. We're coming right back with more in the Element Well studio. Chair of the Department of Economics at Ole Miss, Josh Hendrickson at 1105. You're listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. Middays, we're in the Element Well studio. Going to be a busy week this week uh, as well, Rhino. Tomorrow, once again, back here in the Element Well studio at Super Talk headquarters. And then Wednesday on the road up to the Community in Columbus. Thursday, back in the studio. Friday, the Ole Miss Banking Symposium. Looking forward to those remotes. It'll be a good week. And a bunch of remotes for uh, the rest of the year on the calendar as well. We're going to be busy. I'm going to be ratting the roads a little bit. We're quickly approaching the most wonderful time of the year. We are. Absolutely. But we got, uh, I know we got several remotes scheduled as well. Oh, we yeah. got, We also have a debate, November 1st, scheduled. That's, uh, that would feature the candidates for governor in the state of Mississippi. 
That ought to be interesting. We'll be reporting on that for sure. Back to this statement by Vivek Ramaswamy, where he is stating that it's not productive, is what he says, for companies to blacklist kids for being members of student groups that make dumb political statements. Well, I certainly hear him, uh, what he's saying there. And this is, again, what I'd say about it, my, what my position is. I believe that an employer has the right to hire who the hell they want, for whatever reason, and to fire, terminate whomever they want, for whatever reason. I just believe in total, free, at-will employment. I don't want the government getting involved. Well, I agree with Mr. Ramaswamy that, okay, maybe that's overreacting on the part of uh, hedge fund manager Bill Ackerman and a couple of others that have also joined in with him that said we're not hiring these people. I support and respect their right to do so. If it's because they're not wanting to bring on anybody onto their roles of employment that participated in these protests or co-signed this letter denouncing Israel, that's their prerogative. And he basically says that colleges are spaces for students, this is Vivek Ramaswamy, to experiment with ideas, and sometimes kids just join clubs that endorse boneheadedly wrong ideas. I agree with him on that. I do. My concern is that something we've talked about many times, our colleges are awash with left-wing, Marxist-loving, America-hating Professors. They just are. There are tons of them. And from a numbers perspective, they just outnumber folks who believe that America is a noble and good nation, stands for good, and has many accomplishments to tout, and is still the best place on the planet to live. Still the most tolerant, the most free. It just is. And offers the most opportunity for college students. That's why they all come here. At some point, we got to just make it hurt, do we not? Where there are consequences for your boneheadedness. And if that's, hey, I'm not hiring you because of your participation in these groups, I support that. I will tell you, if someone says, I want to hire those people, and I'm going to hire them at a premium, I support that as well. I think that's stupid, but I support it. You see, I don't want the government being the arbiter of what's stupid and not. In the private sector, they'll fall on their own sword. Live and die by it. I also don't support the idea that college graduates can't get hired unless they support stupid DEI pledges. That's been going on in this country quite a bit, where companies are requiring their employees to support these DEI pledges. Essentially, 
they're called DEI pledges, it's kind of a misnomer, honestly. It's basically a a pledge that says white people have privilege and nobody else does. They're they're the oppressors and the oppressed. You got to sign on to that. And if you're often a white person, you have to sign a document that says, "Yes, I acknowledge I have privilege." There's even schools that send this crap home to teachers. Uh, pardon me, to parents. Teachers send it to parents, requiring them to sign on behalf of their kids and explaining it and discussing it and acknowledging it with their kids. I totally disagree with that. No, those are public entities. With respect to these private companies that want their employees to sign these DEI pledges, I think it's stupid. I think it's deplorable. I don't want them to do it, but I support their right to do so. Let the market sort that out. We are stepping aside for a break. It's time for Fox News, Super Talk News. Josh Hendrickson from the Department of Economics at Ole Miss is next. Welcome to the show that challenges you to think deeply deeply. and look beyond political posturing. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. back, everyone. It's midday. Super Talk Mississippi. We are in the Element Wealth Studio, kicking off a brand new week. We welcome to the program now Josh Hendrickson, Chair of the Department of Economics and Associate Professor of Economics at the University of Mississippi. Professor, thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me. You bet. So, uh, just watching so much unfold here, especially in the nation's capital with respect to economic matters, and, and it's, I think, fair to say that's really at the heart of this uh, debacle on the Speaker of the House situation. It really is stemmed from uh, the Speaker, Kevin McCarthy, working to, I guess, fund the discretionary aspect of government through another continuing resolution and Matt Gates decided that he just couldn't take that anymore, so he invoked his privilege, only requiring one under the rules, one member, to call for a snap vote to remove the speaker, and he did so. I've been critical, however, of Representative Gates in that he's offered no alternative plan other than we want to observe regular order, which would require negotiating 12 separate bills to uh, fund the discretionary aspect of government. But, Professor, what I focused on here on the program is we're only talking about 30% of total outlays. We don't even talk about, nor do we touch, the 70%. And that's really what's driving our deficits and, of course, uh, layering uh, more dollars onto our debt. Your thoughts about all that? Yeah, I think I don't know whether the decision to get rid of the speaker is the best political decision, but in terms of handling the debt, it's time for somebody to start taking it seriously. I mean, we're reaching a point where uh, we're paying almost a trillion dollars just in interest on the debt, which is more than we spend uh, for our entire defense budget. And that's right. not sustainable. And so something's going to have to be done about it, and they're going to have to get serious about the budget. Right. But uh, I think you would agree we could we could eliminate every dime of discretionary spending. I mean, the way the math works out now. 
and we still run a three to four hundred billion dollar deficit. We we got to get into the mandatory aspect of spending if we're going to be serious about trying to rein in the deficit and ultimately start chipping away at the debt. Well, I think that if you look at the markets over the last week or even over the last month, uh, they're already signaling that they don't think that um, the Federal Reserve is going to be able to get inflation under control. And I don't think that they're saying this because uh, they don't think the Fed you know, wants to or is trying to. They're, they're saying this because when you look at the trajectory of government debt, it just seems like the only way that this is going to be reduced is by having the Federal Reserve be the uh, buyer of last resort for the debt and effectively monetize the debt. I mean, if you look at markets over the last week or even over the last month, like the S&P 500 is down, uh, yields on government bonds are up, uh, gold is up, Bitcoin is up, right? Every Everything that you would look at to think that people think inflation is going higher is, uh, is, is signaling that in markets. And, um, and I think that this is just a sign that you know, people are losing faith that the people in Washington have any sense of what they need to do to, to bring down the debt. We got the 10-year that I think crossed the 5% yield mark this morning, if I'm not mistaken. We were dangerously close to it last week at 4.9 and change. I think we crossed the 5%, and that, of course, indicates that investors believe that inflation is sticky, is going to stick around. I don't even think that's necessarily driven by uh, their their thoughts about more action from the Fed with respect to the benchmark interest rate, but rather that I got to get more money given given this inflation is just spiraling out of control. Before I lock in on a long yeah, I mean there's basis. a certain yeah, I mean there's a certain point where um, inflation isn't really determined by the central bank anymore. It's kind of determined by how much debt you have. When you get to a certain point where you can't pay back the debt, I mean you only have two options you can either default on the debt or you can print money to pay for to pay for the debt yeah it's um it's it's just sad to me that we can't seem to have a conversation about the mandatory aspect of spending professor because it's so politically toxic and therefore we're only dealing with this this less than a third and in that, Republicans say, we can't cut defense, that's half of it. And the Democrats say, we can't cut non-defense. And that's how we end up where we are. Well, I think this is a problem that we've experienced uh, for a long time now. I think if you go back to the financial crisis, I mean, there's this, there, there's just this constant pattern where the federal government, uh, their, their sole aim seems to be to put off whatever pain that, uh, is going to be inflicted, whether it was the financial crisis itself or anything like that. So it's, they're just constantly kicking the can down the road. But at a certain point, like, you know, you get to the dead end at the end of that road and th- there's nowhere else to kick that can. And I think that the signal we're getting from markets is that they feel like we're maybe approaching that that end of the road. The Democrats uh, would say that, hey, it's it's uh, really not an issue because uh, they, they buy into the idea of modern monetary theory, MMT, what are your thoughts about that? I know you've, you've uh, written some about that. I'm sure you probably lecture on it as well. What do you think? Yeah, this is a weird ideological position. So they kind of start with a basic premise where they say, like, well, you know, like there's no reason that any country that has its own currency would ever have to default on its debt. And so, you know, we can always just pay for things by printing money or, or, or what have you. And that's 
you know, and that's true. We, we can pay for debt by just printing money. Uh, but what they seem to think is that there's no cost associated with the printing of the money. They right. seem to think that printing money is not going to lead to any adverse outcomes. But we know that in the real world, there are resource constraints, right? And so uh, printing more money doesn't actually create any more wealth. And so what you're going to end up with is you're going to end up with a lot more dollars in circulation, but you're not going to end up with any more wealth, and which means that, you know, all this is going to give you is inflation, right? The value of your dollar is now going to be worth less than, than it was before. Essentially what we've experienced uh, since the pandemic, when we just went crazy with all these giant uh, relief bills, and we didn't have any money to fund that. So uh, the Fed uh, cranked up the printing presses, and, and, of course, that, as I like to say, dropped money out of helicopters all over the country, and, and now we're, we're paying the price for that. But something that, that really disturbs me, Professor, get your thoughts on this, is that we got the Fed over here trying to tame inflation using the tools they have, mostly the benchmark interest rate and a little bit of unwinding of the balance sheet, and, and involvement in open market operations. But we got the federal government over here with fiscal policy that's contending with monetary policy. Yeah, so in economics, we usually talk about, like, which policy is dominant. Is it monetary policy or fiscal policy? And under normal conditions, when you have, like, low levels of debt, like, monetary policy is the dominant policy when it right. comes to things like inflation. But once you get the high enough level of debt, well, now – um, you know, it becomes very, very difficult for uh, the central bank to bring down inflation because if that debt's not going away, um, you know, it's, it's going to be effectively monetized. And so and it, and it doesn't even have to be done like deliberately. It doesn't have to be like Jerome Powell comes out and says, hey, we're going to just monetize some of this debt. What it is is that you get to a certain point where the Fed tries to be contractionary, but there's so much debt out there and there's not really a market for that debt. And so then you get uh, – all of this uh, turmoil in the treasury market. And then the Fed kind of says, well, I think it's time for us to intervene in this market. And so whether they intend on uh, monetizing the debt or not, you know, effectively uh, you're going to get higher rates of inflation when that sort of thing happens. But we have a Fed chair that, uh, unlike some of his predecessors, won't call that out. He will every, – every time he's asked at, at all his, his conferences by the media, hey, do you think we ought to be spending less and ought to have more responsible and conservative fiscal policy? He, he just won't ever say that. He, he won't ever just tell the world, I guess, yeah, I think we ought to be talking about that. Yeah, and I think um, it's always been the policy of the Federal Reserve not to comment on particular policies or particular bills or something like that. Right. But when it comes to broad trends in the data, I, I kind of reject his uh, Powell's premise that it's inappropriate for him to comment because, uh, you know, Bernanke and Greenspan used to comment on budget deficits all the time where, yes. they, you know, they would say like, hey, I'm not going to talk about this particular legislation, but, you know, we do need to think about the trajectory of the debt. We do need to think about, you know, the long term consequences of these kinds of things. And they would just provide, you know, some degree of, of warning. So. As long as they're not commenting on particular policies, which is really um, the only standard that they've set over time, I don't. I don't think it's a problem for him to come out and say, "Hey, you know, they're they're spending too much, and this is not sustainable." Just in a generic sense, yeah, I agree, Professor. Appreciate you coming on. Enjoy the conversation. I'm sure we'll be talking some more. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much. We're coming right back with more in the Element Well Studio. Stay with us.
Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. On Super Talk Mississippi. Let's do it. us into this segment here of Middays. We are live in the Element Well studio today. Back here tomorrow on the road Wednesday up to the Community in Columbus. Back in uh, Super Talk Mississippi's headquarters on Thursday and then up to the Ole Miss Banking Symposium on Friday. Looking forward to that. Mary in Greenwood on the ceasefire text line says, well then get rid of those professors spreading all that garbage. Well, it's it's that sounds like a, a practical idea there, Mary. But it's it's a little bit more difficult than that. We got a couple of issues, with, which is why colleges and universities are so left leaning. One, see what you think about this, Rhino. The folks that that pursue that as a career, they're just left leaning. We don't have a lot on the right, honestly, that uh, seek a career in higher ed. In, in faculty and administration. And so uh, we um, to just outfit the ranks, kind of limited in that respect. Second, you know, I don't want to necessarily, I, I don't at all, uh, suppress their ideas and their voice. I just want equal showing. Students ought to be exposed to multiple points of view. Unfortunately, they're only often getting one because most of their instructors are of that philosophical view. And unfortunately, far too many will consider that in their grading. This is more and more happening. I'm sorry to say that I, I heard this at the Dennis Prager event in Oxford a couple of weeks ago when some of the students when they opened up the floor to questions and went to the mic and talked about, uh, one uh, suggested that they had a, a student, uh, pardon me, a professor, who would who would grade and count off in their grading, factor into their grading, the fact that this person was a Christian. And they opposed that. The professor did. They thought lesser of them, I guess, and considered that in their grading. And this is not unique uh, there. This is happening across the country where students have, have expressed their concerns about even voicing and exposing their philosophical view, viewpoints for fear that there would be retribution and retaliation on the part of uh, their instructors and their professors. In fact, Ben Ferguson, who's uh, host a syndicated radio talk show host, uh, attended Ole Miss and talked about when he was in school 15 years or so ago. He'd written a paper, and uh, the professor didn't like the content of the paper and gave him an F. And he he kind of asked for reconsideration and asked permission to circulate the paper to a number of other professors on campus and get their take on it. And they came back and graded it with very high marks. And the professor reversed the grade, but it was all because they didn't like the content itself. 
wasn't about the quality of the work, which is what that should be in journalism. shouldn't be about the opinion and whether or not you agree with the opinion. It should be about how effectively the opinion is expressed. That's the essence of writing and journalism. Some people have a gift for that, obviously. So that, that sort of stuff is going on across the country, unfortunately. We shared the story last week of uh, a professor at Berkeley who required their students of the Jewish faith in a class to stand in the corner to symbolize what they say Israel is doing to Palestine. Well, that's just totally inappropriate. Now, what do you think the chances are that those students will have a fair shake at their grade in that class? I'd say it's pretty slim, honestly. If a professor is willing to go to that length, so what we need is just equality. We need equity in thought, in expression of thought. Which is why I disagree with Vivek Ramaswamy trying to say that cancel culture is bad no matter who it happens to. Because was it, was it Sun Tzu? Did it go that far back? Or was it Napoleon that said, never interrupt your enemy when they're making a mistake? Because you have these loony leftist activists that are the ones that are pro-Hamas, that are marching for pro-Palestine. And they're butting heads with the Jewish community, who also votes predominantly Democrat. So you have the left canceling the left. Right. Yeah, that, Cancel away. That is exactly what's happening, because that's what happens when you try to appease everybody and be all things to all people, which is... And it's always some sort of sliver, special interest situation. Uh, I saw a protest, a video of a protest, uh, a anti-Israel protest. This was in New York. And it was uh, there was a stage set up, and there were speakers up on the stage. They were leading the chants. <laughs> and in the video, there's one that takes, actually has a bullhorn, not a mic. That's kind of the preferred approach, right? The bullhorn for effect. Well, this is a man with a dress on and the big glasses you talk about and the crazy hair and a mask, of course. Parrot hair and power glasses. It's, it is, so, you know, you don't want to stereotype. uniform of the mindless. Right. You don't want to stereotype, which is what we on the right get accused of doing all the time. But it's just time and time again, it, it's that same image. It's that same look. It's that Pattern same Pattern recognition is human nature. That's right. That's it's true. how we evolved. That's a good point. That's true. But it's, it's not our fault they all fit into the pattern. <laughs> So my response to Mary, I, I hear you, Mary, and I and I don't, I don't want to get rid of these professors. I I want there to just be open dialogue and an equal opportunity for students to hear multiple points of view. That's how you train critical thinking. But when you're limited and you're even punished for your point of view, that's just totally wrong. And if that's happening, well then. Well, it shows how fragile, nonsensical, and illogical the left's viewpoints are. They don't hold up to critical thinking. They don't hold up to criticism. And that's why they fear it. Right. They, that's they, why they silence any detractors. That's, that's why they come up with such strong language for anything that isn't lockstep. And then they call it hate speech. The fact that you disagreed with them, you dissented with their opinion, 
with logic and facts. The hate speech. Unbelievable. Totally wrong. Case in point, men can't get pregnant. <gasps> right. Hate, hate speech. speech. That's totally, absolutely, 100% right. Paul and Meridian says, would he say the same about kids that are skinhead and Nazi groups in college talking about Ramaswamy? I don't know, uh, but Rhino makes a good point on that. I mean, Ramaswamy seems to just be against cancel culture, so he's... He's trying to not be hypocritical and cheer on cancel culture on the left, but it was the left canceling the left. Let them run amok. And and again, I've I've discussed this before. Ramaswamy, how he kind of propelled himself onto the national scene is the very first book he wrote called Woke Inc. Woke Incorporated. It's excellent. I bought it. I read it. He's spot on. He exposes all the woke lunacy in corporate America. He absolutely does. It's excellent. I'm a little surprised at this reaction. And he even says, you know, in his text that nobody's been more vocal, uh, what does he say, than me uh, with my on cancel, culture, on cancel culture, see my first book, in parentheses, Woke Inc. He's right. But it's bad no matter who practices it. I just think he's missing the, the mark here. We're, we're, we're not talking about just cancel culture. We're talking about um, acts of of inhumanity. I mean, that's a little different. Brutal acts of violence that you're essentially condoning. That's a little different, in my view. And it, it would, as, a, as a, an employer, make me wonder about the character and, and just the, a, the discernment abilities of this person. Can you not see what the heck's going on here? And there have been more and more reports, by the way, as time has progressed coming out of uh, Gaza from um, IDF and, and um, I think even some news sources that have have uh, come across uh, various communications that have, are just brutal. Brutal, honestly. Cut heads and, and feet off. You've seen that, like a, a, um, a higher-ranking member of the Hamas regime, or the, the group of terrorists that instructed those in Hamas, those that were essentially deployed and ordered, to go carry out these acts of terror, just for maximum impact, cut the cut the heads and the feet off, and take photos and get images. Just insane inhumanity. Malcolm from Tishomingo County says, "Is there ever a chance that there might be enough right-leaning Democrats to vote for a speaker to get the magic number of votes for the good of the country?" I doubt it, Malcolm. They seem to be much better aligned as a conference than Republicans are. I just don't see them crossing over. I really don't. I think I think they're enjoying the the uh, dysfunction. I think it serves them best politically. We're coming right back with half an hour in the Element Well studio. Some like it hot. Some like it hot. Bring it on. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's midday. Super Talk Mississippi on the ceasefire text line. I bet if none of them got paid until they elect a speaker, we'd have one. 
Yeah, maybe, maybe so. Uh, it's kind of hard to say. Uh, there, there's been some discussions. There, I think there's actually been a bill that was introduced that uh, would essentially suspend congressional pay if they missed a budget deadline. Uh, and that never got any traction. In fact, I think I got this right. There hasn't been a budget passed on time in this country I think 25, 27 years, something like that is the number that, that comes to mind. It's been a long time. 27 is, seems to stick in my head. 1996. That's 27. Yeah. Okay. That's the last time that we passed a budget on time. And again, that's only the discretionary component. Only. It's It's crazy. But it's true. I see. You know, like the Border Patrol military wasn't going to get paid if the government shut down the ceasefire tax line. Sure, I, you know, I think that'd be fair. Whether or not that would speed things up, I really don't know. Hard to say. But there certainly needs to be some sort of motivation to get it done on time. Emmerich, low low profile may be least controversial and very experienced. Knows how the House works, unlike Byron Donalds from Florida, who I do like. That's on the ceasefire text line. It's actually Emmer. Tom Emmer is one of the candidates who has tossed his hat into the ring for Speaker of the House. Also on the ceasefire text line, Robert and Brandon says there's absolutely nothing wrong with teaching college-age young adults that there are consequences for their actions and that you're judged by the company that you keep. I totally agree with you on that, Robert. Thomas and Greenwood says, will the Fed cut the interest rates to help prevent that $1 trillion a year of debt interest? The answer is no. Thomas, they will not. That will not sway them. Not one iota. I mean, it's, it's already, what they've done has already resulted in more than doubling the federal debt interest since they started the, the campaign of rate hikes. What have we had, 11 thus far, I believe, in less than two years? Putting debt interest in the $800 billion range next year, expected to eclipse a trillion at the run rate we're on. I still can't understand how these trans males are saying that they can use tampons, says Tim from Tupelo. Just don't see that those instructions on the package. I mean, all, all of it is really just a, a mental fantasy. I guess you could say the video I saw, I think I talked about it on the program last week, of this male that was literally crying about having menstrual cramps, of course, which they're not, because men do not menstruate, but was bemoaning the fact that they were experiencing menstrual cramps and the other discomfort of that, which occurs on a cycle, what is it, every 28 days, I believe, 
on average, but they can't have children. And you just think about how dumb that is. I have to go through these menstrual cramps, and I don't even get to have a baby. you got to be kidding me. But if you say anything like we are here, I'm sure that could be construed as hate speech in some circles, right? No, you're really not having menstrual cramps there, buddy and dude. Unbelievable. You're just crazy. So, yeah, exactly. Dustin from Walnut. So if telling the truth and backing it up with facts is hate speech, then Ben Shapiro and Candace Owens are the devil. Oh, yeah, Dustin, there's lots of those who call out those fallacies, as we do here on the program. Absolutely, they're accosted by people on the left. When they go to college campuses in particular, they show up in droves just to shout them down. It's unbelievable. Let's see here. Um, Ramaswabi's speeches are impressive, but I don't trust him. That's on the ceasefire text line. Do you think the chaos in the House will ever have any impact, will have any impact on the governor's race? I don't. I really don't think it will. That's a good question that I hadn't honestly thought about. But I, I do not. I already had to take sensitivity training at work because I misgendered someone, says Darren and Jackson. Yeah, I again, I, I'll say this, Darren. I think that's stupid that they're making you do that. I completely oppose all that garbage. And I think that it, it it's really not productive. I don't think it... It advances the company's objectives whatsoever. If the objectives are to produce value for society and and render a profit thereof, which is what their objectives should be. But I support their right to be stupid like this, I'll just tell you. I don't want the government telling them they can't do that. I hope the market, and you're seeing it, you're starting to see lots of unwinding, Rhino, of some of these giant, sprawling DEI groups in corporate America. Because it's a giant black hole where money goes to disappear. No doubt about it. And that's exactly right. All the left-wing media for 63 years and still haven't heard of a man getting pregnant on the ceasefire tax line. So, you know, something we've talked about back, uh, uh, shift a little bit over here to stuff at home in Mississippi. I've said on the program that uh, Brandon Presley likes to discuss his goal and intent should he be elected governor to expand Medicaid, to cut the price of car tax, right off the bat, right? That's that grocery sales tax as well. And I've pointed out that you can't do that unilaterally through executive, some sort of executive order, edict as governor. So I did catch an interview he did with another media outlet. And he was asked a question on that, and he said, here's what he said. So now we know the answer. He said, no, it's true. I, I can't, you're right, I can't expand Medicaid just with a stroke of a pen. However, I believe that there's broad support in the legislature to do so, even among Republicans, and that the votes are there to get that done. But it's uh, kind of behind closed doors support, masqueraded somewhat. And then Governor Reeves was asked about that, and he says, well, you know, if they support this, well, then they need to come out and let everybody know it. And I agree with him. 
So there's there's the issue of whether or not it's good policy. Then there's the issue of, hey, if you support this and you're sitting in a seat in the state house or senate, you need to let people know where you stand. Like before the election. Problem is if they don't have uh, opponents that will expose them on that, or at least pride them to speak up about it, you don't find out. But that's what he said. With respect to the uh, the price of car tags, he did clarify, because I've actually asked, is he talking about just the state portion? Which, by the way, I knew it was minimal. The, the state portion is five bucks. Remember, I, I, I think I said 50. It's five. I knew it was a small amount of money. Five bucks. Because remember, it was the state senate that was offering that in their tax reform package. We're going to cut the state portion of car tags, and it's and it's five bucks, three fifty for a renewal, which was like, well, that's nothing. That really doesn't do anything. So what Mr. Presley proposes is fifty percent, and when he's asked about fifty percent of the total cost, and when he's asked about okay. That's a primary source of revenue to counties, ad valorem taxes on vehicles, property taxes. That's where they get revenue to operate the county functions. Are you going to make them whole? And he didn't really directly respond to it, but he said, yeah, that the state could figure something out to do that. And it is true that the state actually does have a fund when they achieve certain levels, price of tax comes down, the state reimburses the counties for it. That is something that they could do. By the way, the um, the cost to the state to reimburse the counties would be about two hundred million, two hundred million. So you cut ad valorem taxes, um, your your vehicle license plate fees; those would be cut in half, and the state would pick that up from the general fund, and it would just essentially disperse uh, those monies to the counties to cover. That reduction, about $200 million a year is what that would cost. And this is why I say you do that and then you cut the grocery tax. I'm all for cutting taxes, but that just makes eliminating the income tax that much more difficult. We're coming right back with the final segment on Middays. We're in the Element Well studio. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk Mississippi. Whatever happens, I leave it all to change. Another heartache, another failed romance. On and on. Does anybody know what we are living for? So in our quest to eliminate fully the income tax in Mississippi, that task is made considerably more difficult by cutting other taxes. Because the uh, the loss of revenue from cutting income taxes just uh, already puts pressure on the general fund budget. And proposals in the past, of course, 
have been to phase that in and attach it to uh, spending growth that is tied to the CPI or achievement of certain surpluses on an annual basis, certain revenues that exceed expectations and produce a surplus, and that gives leeway to cut taxes further, phasing it in over several years. That's the plan. But when you essentially reduce these other income sources, in the case of the ad valorem taxes on vehicles, that revenue doesn't go to the state, but it goes to the counties, and the proposal is to reimburse the counties for that loss of revenue. They couldn't function if you just cut the car tags in half. It'd be impossible for most counties, if not all. So that's a big chunk. And then you've got grocery taxes, which many cities rely on, the sales tax on groceries. And there's, you know, an idea there is maybe the cities just keep their 18.4%. So you're talking about instead of a 7% sales tax, it'd be, what, 1.3%. So the cities would retain their portion of revenue. Or it fully eliminate it, and, and then the state would reimburse the cities. That's another idea. No doubt this is going to come up in the next session. But that's what Brandon Presley is promoting, and that's what he's campaigning on. I did just receive a press release from the Mississippi Democratic Party. The title of the press release, quote, the state of health care in our state is deteriorating. And State Senator Solly Norwood is criticizing Governor Reeves for not not supporting the expansion of Medicaid. I, I still say that that's just the wrong theme in any discussion to address the health care situation, the health care economy in the state of Mississippi. That That could certainly be part of that discussion, but it's a whole lot more to it than just that. I also don't understand uh, how in the statements in this press release this expansion would just mean that we will see to it that more children would have a chance to live. That would not. What are they talking about? That's just not true, Rhino. Medicaid expansion adds the coverage group of able-bodied adults. Children are already eligible for Medicaid. In Mississippi, I think it's up to 250% of the federal poverty level. There are many children in the state of Mississippi who were enrolled in Medicaid whose parents don't have insurance. They meet the eligibility to participate in the CHIP or the Medicaid program for children. It's just not true. Another statement here, and that's, by the way, from a retired educator, just a, a, a citizen. Medicaid expansion is a way out for us and our children and our people. Huh? And another says, this is a home health aid, if we don't expand Medicaid, a lot of the elderly would not get those services they need. That's just not true. That's just false. But what? the clapping seals that vote for Democrat are lapping it up. See, I told you those Republicans were mean and evil. They eat puppies. How could you ever vote for a Republican? Don't you see how evil they are? That's, Why can't you vote that, Democrat that's like what us? they're saying. Uh, and so it, this person goes on to say, our nursing homes are affected by the lack of expansion. Huh? 
They're not able to get the glasses or their teeth or other things they would need without expansion. No. Indigent elderly are fully covered by Medicaid. That's that's the was the original premise of Medicaid. It was the aged, the disabled, the blind, pregnant women, and children. Those are the coverage groups in traditional based Medicaid. Expansion simply covers able-bodied adults. And and by the way, you know what they're really wrong about? The governor just signed off on a plan that's going to get $700 million more to health care providers for those groups. Existing traditional Medicaid. He just got $700 million. Medicaid expansion wouldn't get him a dime more. It's just wrong. But if a Democrat's flapping their gums, you know they're wrong about something and lying about something else. Man, oh man. We gotta tell the truth though, man. We gotta debate the facts. Not these fallacies. Not these just fibs. These untruths. We gotta debate facts to solve problems. You can't solve problems addressing stuff that's not true. We're out of here today, folks. We thank you so much for joining us. Back with you tomorrow. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.